3: On February 7th, 2021, Darcy glazer Kasowitz watched her Tampa Bay Buccaneers make history.
0: The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a second Super Bowl title in franchise history. And Tom Brady doesn't pass the torch quite yet to Mahomes, does he? Even though
2: you're looking at the greatest right there. The whole experience was totally surreal to be in the Super Bowl and to be on your own turf. But I looked over and I saw Sarah Thomas walking by. And really, it just struck me, really. It was amazing.
3: Darcy owns the Buccaneers. And not only did her team win the championship at their home stadium, three women made history, too. Sarah Thomas was the first woman to officiate a Super Bowl, and the Bucs had two women coaching. On this episode of Earning It, we meet the powerful voices in the NFL behind the push to get more talented women on the field and in the front office. Plus, Billie Jean King, when I told my three-year-old son that I was interviewing you today, I said, I'm interviewing Billie Jean (laughs) King. And he said, does she live in a castle? And I said, oh, does she ever, in all of our minds. (laughs) Oh, cute. Say hi to him. I sit down with the legendary Billie Jean King, who knows a few things about opening doors for women. And yes, she's a football fan. I want to start the show off by setting the scene for you guys. It's Super Bowl 55. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. The nation is fixated on a quarterback matchup of epic proportions.
0: This is a matchup that we're going to be talking about, I think, for a long time. We're going to touch out in this game. I think both these quarterbacks aren't going to lose the game. Really. They're going to both get their team back in. it. And we're coming down to the wire today, Jim.
3: And Bucks co-owner, Darcy glazer Kasowitz, is soaking it all in. After the game, Darcy, I texted you at around 10, 17 p.m., congratulating you on this incredible Super Bowl, a historic Super Bowl. And you texted me back one word, herstory. For our fans, H-E-R-S-T-O-R-Y, herstory. Why did you text me that? I mean, we're, I think
2: at that point, we were in the locker room and everybody was, you know, just going crazy. And, and again, I'm seeing the coaches there, um, you know, seeing Lori the first time after the game. And it was just, it was just incredible. It was an incredible Everything about that game was incredible. Uh, I mean, we won, you know, we won with the most diverse coaching staff in the entire NFL. We had, um, you know, two female coaches on the team. It was just, it was spectacular.
3: Darcy and her brothers own the Bucks as a family. And while it's no secret that football hasn't always been the most welcoming space for women, she's been working to change that. It's not that for hiring women is a priority.
2: It's that we want to make sure that our uh, pool of candidates is as uh, diverse as possible so we can pick the best person. We're looking for the best people here at the Buccaneers. That, that, that's just where we start. And uh, because we are searching and really creating these pools of candidates, we are finding that women are filling these roles.
4: Yeah, for us, it's as Darcy said, let's find the best people. But you have to open up the pool to find the best.
3: That's Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians.
4: I think for me, coming in as an outsider, it was normal. You know, I I look at all the vice presidents and the people in charge who were female, and it's just normal here.
3: Coach, women have been disenfranchised from the football side for a long time. We're all working to change that, right? When you knew you were committed to this and that you wanted this done, how did you find females who coached football?
4: I was asked a question one time in Arizona about, did I think women could coach in the NFL? And I had seen Dot Murphy coach in Heinz Junior College back in the 80s and 90s. So, And she was one of the best receiver coaches I ever clinicked with. So I said, heck yeah, I know they can. It's just creating opportunities and getting opportunities. And uh, one of the arena team coaches called me and said, look, are you very serious about this? I think I have somebody that can really do a great job for you. And it was Jen Welter. And uh, met her, super qualified, just a ball of energy, and and came in and did a heck of a job for our training camp. And then I knew then I knew it was possible.
3: Interestingly, the majority of our coaches who are female started out as tackle football players. This is one of the biggest misconceptions that I run into. This idea that women can't coach football because they don't play at a high level. But right now in North America, there are thousands of female professional tackle football
4: players. One of the most respected people in this business for me is Joe Pendry. And, and Joe is, works at Alabama now, but he was the Birmingham Iron General Manager and I'm speaking at a clinic at UAB, and he said, are you really looking for, you know, a female coach? I said, yeah, I, I really want one. I'd really like to have one on the D-line. He said, I've got the perfect person for you. And, uh, and it was Lowe.
3: He's talking about Coach Low Locust, who ended up getting that job on his staff. She and strength coach Maral Javadifar became the first female coaches to win a Super Bowl. Low is clear that her priority is not being the first. It's being the best. I've never operated under the premise of, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to do something nobody else did. That was never my motivation. I just wanted to get better. I wanted the D-lines that I was in charge of to be absolutely obnoxious and feared and hated across any league that I coached. And I needed to know how to do that better than anyone else that I was coming up against. Darcy says what we're seeing is just the beginning. We spent a lot of time thinking about
2: um, what we can do for women in this space. There's so many female fans who uh want to follow their passion for football into a career in the NFL. So we do a lot of things. You know, we started um the Women's Summit for Careers in Football, which was really taking what you're doing at the Combine, what you spearheaded, uh Sam, um, and we took that on the road because we thought what you did was such an unbelievable idea. And so now we have 43 women that we, we talk to and have leadership in the Buccaneers. Um, kind of helping them uh, along the way. And uh, we have the Buccaneers uh, Girls Preseason Classic, and that's the largest girls' high school flag football tournament in the nation with over 1,000 student athletes and 50 teams. And we think it's really important to uh, support and validate these, these female athletes to show them that we believe in them and the sport is
3: for them. We talked about the perception that women aren't respected in the locker room. And this idea that they're only token hires. Okay, so we've heard stereotypes of female coaches, you know, that they, they've never played or they don't they don't know the sport as well as men or how could they possibly coach men. You know, we spoke to some other head coaches who mentioned that they were a little nervous to hire females for the first time. They didn't know what to expect. Your reaction, coach, what was your first reaction?
4: Put them on the board. Do, do every kind of interview you would do for anybody else you would hire. And uh, if they've got the answers to the test, hire them. And uh, don't 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 worry about <laughs> male or female. Is this the best person for this job that I'm going to have open right now? And uh, you're going to get the best person every single time if you just have open ears and open eyes.
3: Right. And so on that point, for both of you, what's holding women back in football? Do you think?
4: I think there's not that many job openings, and uh, it's a very very competitive business. So. Uh, you've got to be you you've got to have a heck of a resume and you better do a great job in your interview just like anybody i think of the 32 head coaching interviews um there's only 32 and uh so i think when you open that pool up hopefully in college and in high school that starts spreading so that pipeline gets bigger um, but it's more opportunity because there're very very few jobs
3: Darcy what about you women on the football side the business side i think uh time is is the,
2: uh, barrier at this point. I think it's a very exciting time right now. I think that a lot of more women are being hired as uh, coaches or scouts, um, and in different aspects of football. So there is progress being made. And as time goes on, there will be more women in the NFL. So, you know, women are not competing against other women for these jobs. Like, like Bruce says to work in the NFL is, is, is a phenomenal opportunity. You're competing against the world. So you, you have to be
3: at the top. Here's a stat that some people find surprising. 47% of NFL fans are women. And Darcy gets this.
2: A few years ago, I was in a uh, women's event and we were talking about how at the time, half our vice presidents were women at the Buccaneers. And there was really this collective gasp in the room that people were shocked to, to hear that so many women were working at our team. And it really floored me. It occurred to me at that moment that women don't, realize maybe that there's all of these opportunities in the NFL. And it was at that moment that it became very important for me to create tremendous awareness of the opportunities that there are for women.
3: Darcy's in the meeting room telling us, nope, not good enough. We can do better than that. And, you know, absolutely love your drive for getting this right. Coach, I want to bring you to life a little bit because, first of all, you're hilarious. Everyone who, <laughs> who we spoke to mentioned we were talking, you said that you're absolutely hilarious. Um... You know, kids in Tampa Bay now dress up as you. There is a school that we've been following that dress up as Coach Lowe and Coach M-Day. And, you know, they dress up like you on Sundays. Can you talk about the impact that what you're doing is having on young kids in, in Florida?
4: yeah I just hope they don't have a cocktail in their hand um, but, <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing uh you know w- when I was in Arizona I was floored uh Steve keimer general manager he said you you can't, you got you can't wait I can't wait to show you my son he he's been working on his outfit all week for Halloween and he came by he had a headset on he had a little goatee on he had the the, the game plan <laughs> <laughs> and, and he started. First thing he says, "Oh shit, get in the right spot." And I was, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, time out!" And his mom just cracked up laughing. And said he's going to be you all night. So and uh, so so, but he, yeah, it's amazing. It's it's very flattering to see to see that. It's amazing.
3: Young girls wearing their headsets on Halloween, dressed up as Coach Aaron because of what you're doing. It's fantastic, <laughs> Coach. You had the opportunity to meet Billie Jean King recently, who lauded the efforts of the organization. You mentioned she was one of your idols.
4: Oh God, one of the greatest. Champions of my generation. I mean, Billie Jean King was, she was it. I mean, uh, I was not a tennis player, but I was a great, great fan of hers and uh, just the way she played. And, uh, you know, getting to meet her was, uh, you know, uh, one of my bucket list things. And uh, to to see her in that No Risk it, No Biscuit t shirt was absolutely amazing.
3: I was at that game and can confirm that he was very much fanboying over Billie Jean. Coach Arians is someone who understands the power of equality in sports.
4: I grew up in an environment where we were all athletes. You got in a locker room, there, wasn't, there was there's no black, white, brown. It was just this is our team. And um, I think part of the thing for me of of giving opportunities was not getting one. You know, I thought I should have been a head coach a long time ago, but I, I had to wait till I was sixty and Chuck Pagano to get sick uh, for me to get a chance to be a head coach. So when I think people are need an opportunity. I w- I'm more than willing to open that door for them.
3: I asked him what he thought the league would look like in 10 years.
4: For me, I think just continued growth, continued growth in those areas we're talking about, you know, minority head coaches, more women on the field, more women in scouting, um, everywhere in the organizations, maybe general managers. I think there, there's some people right now are very, very qualified to be general managers. So every, every asset of, of the football side of the building I just want to see it continue to grow.
3: There are hundreds and thousands of women in this country who want to work for the NFL and who are qualified to work in the NFL. You all have a program directed at these women. Do you both have advice on how women in this country can get involved in football if they want to get started?
4: Yeah, stay ahead of the curve. If you want to get in coaching, you better—what job's going to be open next year, not what open now, and and get ahead of the curve? Who Who might get that? This is what I've done my whole career— Who might get that job and make sure he knows who I am and and knows my resume. And uh, this is tough, tough business in coaching. And uh, there's so many candidates. And it's all about who you know and uh, make sure you know everybody.
3: Did someone say Billie Jean King? Surprise, Coach Arians. She joins us and talks about you in a few. Plus, join me in the owner suite in Buffalo, where I asked the Bills head coach if he was nervous to tell his players he was bringing a female coach on board. His honest answer, next.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
3: I want to take you guys back to a moment in time that stuck with me. It was 2019 after the Bills' Week 1 victory over the Jets. Take a listen to Buffalo Bills head coach, Sean McDermott.
6: What a blessing, huh? What a blessing, man. A group, a group of men and women in that locker room. I just want to get that out, man. Just, I'll tell you what, I'm so proud of that group.
3: This might not seem like a huge deal to a lot of people, but to the women who are working in football, it meant a lot. He said, to the men and women in that locker room. It's actually the first thing I talked about when I sat down with Coach McDermott for this show. It sent a message to your staff and to all of us that we belong here. And so I'm sitting here in Orchard Park uh, at, at the Buffalo Bills facility in the office of Kim Pegula, owner and president of the Buffalo Bills. First woman, first woman of color to hold the position of president in the NFL and in hockey as well. And Coach Sean McDermott, who is a leader in the placement and promotion of female coaches in the NFL and the man who every female coach in the country wants to work for. I don't know if you know that. Kim, coach, thanks for chatting with me today. You all are leading the league in hiring women from the NFL Women's Careers and Football Forum with 16 total opportunities that you've afforded to women in
7: that amount of time. Kim, what's going on here? Well, I think one of the big obvious elephant in the room is I'm a female. I'm, right. a, I'm a woman. Yep. And I think that it is important, I you know, that we represent, we know what we are as owners. And I think that that is um, very, very important to myself, important to my husband. Um, and we just, not something we wanna talk about, but something we wanna show. And I think that um, being able to have an influence, being able to, to mentor and help other women, I think it's, it's important to us, but one, because I am a female and because um, I feel like this is, I feel like I belong here. And I want other women to feel the same way. Kim was one of the first
3: people to embrace the idea of a pipeline for female coaches and administrators in the league, along with Coach McDermott. I want to get personal with this next question because I think it was the first time you spoke at the Women's Forum. We put a photo up on the big screen of your daughter. And I could tell this story, but I'd prefer to hear it from you. Talk to me about your daughter, Maddie, what, what seeing that photo meant and and what her impact the influence she had on you as a coach.
6: Yeah, way to pull at the heartstrings here, Sam, right away, right? (laughs) I was expecting a nice softball, loud pitch coming in here. I grew up in a family of all boys. And so having my first child be a girl, it was an adjustment for me. Like, how are we going to do this? And Maddie dressed up for Halloween, uh, her parade at Halloween, uh, excuse me, her parade at school for Halloween as a coach. So I'm working through what we normally work through in October, and my wife sends me a picture of Maddie, no words attached, and I was just like, oh my gosh, right? It just got me, and, and so um, seeing her do that basically to me says why not, like why not, and, and so from that moment on, it's really come full circle for me and be like, hey, if 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 I can do it, why can't my daughter do it? Uh, if Kim can do it, why can't many other females do it, right? And so um, that was an eye-opening experience for me and one that I'll never forget and one that has motivated me to help in any way that I can.
3: It was fantastic. And that was the season where you hired Phoebe Schechter. That was the, the first full-time coach you brought in here uh, you know, and, and I'm, Maddie saw Phoebe on the sidelines, right? So she finally saw someone that looked like her that could represent the field that she's interested in. And I spoke to Maddie yesterday and she still wants to be a head coach, which is incredible. Um, but talk to me, coach, about the evolution. You know, you've had three female coaches here in six different opportunities over your span of, of head coach here. Talk about your evolution of head coach and watching the progression of these women in, in the sport.
6: Yeah, you know, Sam, it's been interesting because I gotta I gotta admit, Early on, I was very, um, I don't know, anxious or just kind of apprehensive how this was going to work. Um, I think the NFL number one has done a great job of accommodating um, through facilities, uh, whether it be in the training training facility, stadiums, home and away. That it's not a, it's not a, it's not a hurdle anymore that we have to talk about or get over. Um, they have all those resources available and facilities available, so now it's. It's just become, and I was thinking about this yesterday, it's no longer unique to see women at a minimum on the coaching staff. And it's no longer unique, not only from from our points of view, but also from the players' points of view, which I think is really cool.
7: I got to give a shout out to Coach here, because one of the, my favorite stories is when we did have Phoebe in that first year. And then she came back the second year. So I was like, oh, why? Why is she here again? And coach said, because, you know, last year was on offense. Mm-hmm. This year, I want her to get experience on defense. So the fact is just not a check the, the box mm-hmm. and like, okay, we'll get a female in, then out she goes what a, good luck to her and all that but the fact that he really wanted to develop her as a coach and give her as money, as much opportunity to develop the whole game um i think it speaks volumes for you that's
3: such a good point kim because you know the coach that came the female coach that came here after phoebe was Callie Brownson and you know we and she talked a lot about how you developed her to, for her to be in the position she's in now at the Cleveland Browns in a prestigious coaching position so it's not only about coming in here and experiencing and ha- having a clipboard and doing intern Responsibilities—it's about developing them. So you're kind of developing a female coaching tree in the NFL right now, where they're all going to attribute themselves to you at some point. So you know, it is—it is remarkable. It is remarkable. So, um, talk to us a little about your experience with Callie Brownson and, and how how she performed at the at, at the Bills when she was here.
6: Yeah. So second, uh, it was our second time, second go around with a female yeah. on the coaching staff, as you mentioned, Sam. And what a phenomenal job. And and I and, and it, I think it's easier for the second person than it was for the first person. And that's how it should be, right? So easier for us, easier for Callie in this case, because Phoebe went before her. And she used Phoebe and you, right? right? Give yourself some, credit, yourself some credit here. What a great launching pad, right? For all those that are now coming after Phoebe at the Bills and, and across the league. Um, and, I, and I've gotten the kind of sneaky suspicion that everyone's kind of reaching out to each other and using you and, Again, Phoebe and Callie is, hey, how did it work? How did it go? What about this? What about that? And I think you guys are great ambassadors for, again, all those that follow. I
3: mentioned it in our first two episodes, but it's really difficult to get a football job in the NFL, especially for women. When men try to get these jobs in the NFL, there's infrastructure in place to help them. Connections, scholarships, training programs. Until we started to create a pipeline, those opportunities didn't exist for women.
7: One thing that uh, that surprised me early on as, as ownership is how close connected everybody is. So, you know, you talk to one one coach and he was, you know, a grad student when this coach, you know, at the league or at another club was the head coach or they work with other. So it's very close knit, right? It's mm-hmm. just this very small circle of of men and coaching in the same situation, the same football world. Women don't have that, right? But I think what we're starting to see with the amount of women now at clubs, um, thanks to not just us but other clubs around the league that are getting those women, I think now we can start getting that that tree that you know, whether it's from from a male coach or from another female, creating that network of uh, so that hopefully someday Cali is going to be ha- making those um hiring decisions and we
3: we can't downplay we can't downplay the importance of female ownership in this league right there are not that many female owners the number is growing certainly but you know when when you and Terry bought the team back in 2014 that was something a tone that you set from the top right and so i know coach is very passionate about it brandon bean bills gm is very passionate about it but how, how do you set the tone from the top, Kim? How do you let people know that this is your expectation and that this is who the Buffalo Bills are?
7: Well, I, I think that it was through action, right? A lot of not just talk, but through action. As, as I just mentioned, Coach, you can attest, I've been in a lot of our, our decision-making uh, meetings when it's just been you and Brandon, Terry and I. And so I think from right from day one, from the interview process to the draft to you know difficult decisions on players, Am I sitting there telling these guys what to do? No, thankfully not. But having the presence, being in those areas, in those meetings, um, I I think by action just set the tone. And at that, that I give credit to my husband for making sure that I'm in those meetings and having those discussions and hearing what coach and and our personnel uh, have to say. Um, And I think that really kind of people know that I'm I'm there. I'm in that meeting. And I think that sets the tone more than just uh, talking about it. So
3: other head coaches not only in football but in sports in general are scared of the unknown of what if i bring in a female coach what could happen right what's going to happen in the locker room what's going to happen with her interactions with players and i think every head coach thinks about that first but you went and did it anyway and you've experienced it now so not just talking to other head coaches but i really want to try to dispel the myth around it's no big deal it's just like any other coach right and they treat they they act professionally and they do their job and so We'd love to kind of hear you speak to that, right? Of Were you nervous about everything? And, and was there anything that you and, and were, were nervous about that didn't happen?
6: No, I mean, really, um, it went a lot smoother than I thought. Um, I was nervous about some things, apprehensive, as I mentioned earlier. But I think it really goes back to what Kim mentioned about, like, why not, why not include the entire talent pool into making us as good as we can be here at, at the Buffalo Bills? I mean, if you and we've said this before, if you basically cut it in half, you're only getting, you know, half the people to to pull from who could be the best of the best. This is the NFL, professional sports. We're talking the best of the best. And Kim could tell you, I mean building a staff is so hard to get good people that work hard and are smart. Um and so, like, I made it a point when we got here not to excuse me. Like, just hire my friends, which happens, right? Or just hire people that I knew. Um, and thankfully for Kim and Terry, they've allowed me to um, shuffle the staff to get it to where we are now. And that includes, you know, if we're going to do it right, it includes women, includes minorities, and includes, I mean, everyone, right? And so, as Kim has heard me say numerous times, I just want the best.
3: I was lucky enough to watch a game with you recently, Kim. And I, I feel that with your energy when you're watching that game is there is excitement, there's anxiety, but there's such passion. And that's really the part of football that like, that's what brings this country together. That's right. why we all do it. Right. Is that right. excitement and could not agree more. I heard an interesting story about you on game day one time where, um, After the game, so not to disrupt the coaching staff, but you went into the coaching booth. I did, yeah. And you were asking about how plays were called, how they were drawn up,
7: how they were... I didn't
3: ask that during the game. After the game. (laughs) After the game, when when they were closing down, you waited and you went to talk to the coaches. And, you know, I heard from some of the coaches saying, like, how cool is that? Like, that probably doesn't happen anywhere else, right? Where... You're the owner of the team and you're in there saying, like, teach
7: me about entry level coaching. I got that idea from our head of IT, Dan Evans, because he said, hey, if you really want to know what's happening, put the headsets on. Right. So I didn't make a big deal of it because, you know, it's game day. But I was, you know, very conscious of of doing it in a game that I would say I, every game matters. But, you know, we, it was not a, a, a contentious type of, of placement, you know, where it was a must right. win for us. So I did do it near the end of the season. And I didn't make a big deal of it because I just kind of snuck into the room and put on the headphones. Oh my gosh, like how freaking confusing. Right. <laughs> There's like a completely different language. Yep. The speed of how everything gets decided and the talking, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, whose voice was that again? Mm-hmm. And next thing I know the play's over and now the defense is talking. I, I don't want to coach. and But I think a healthy respect for what they do. And the only way you could really lived through that is getting those experiences. I mean, to me, that's leadership, right?
3: Is you could sit in this office all day and not speak to your staff, but going to the stadium after the game is completed and being in their shoes so you can see what they go through and how how they get criticized
7: so highly for decisions that they have to make in milliseconds very, very quickly. It's uh, it's remarkable. I don't know how to do it any other way. Right. I, I don't know how to be anything else, but then who I am. I was fortunate of, of, to have success as, as well as obviously, Terry, um, later on in our life. I So I people see me, like I said, the way I am is this how we've always been through our house. If you go home, you'll see the dogs there. If you come to the office, you'll see the dogs there.
3: Yep. A couple of your coaches told me that they saw you like at Wegmans and sweatpants and oh grocery uh, shopping or at Walmart.
7: Like, Well, have you been
3: to Wegmans? I've, I've heard you have told me time and time again <laughs> that Wegmans is the jam. Oh, I yeah. have not
7: been there yet, but I, I definitely plan to make a trip after. Oh, you. yeah. No, no. I mean, I'd go there in anything because it's a <laughs> great experience to go to Wegmans. So that's not to, a chore at all. I have to try it yes. out. Absolutely. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I'll really thank, appreciate your time. Yeah, here. I appreciate all the work you do because, listen, we could not do it without your help. And you know that. <laughs> You provide such a great pipeline for us. And, you know, there's so much that goes on in in football and just getting through the day to day things. But you make it so easy. The NFL makes it really uh, easy for us to say yes to women. So thank you for that. Thanks
3: to Coach McDermott as well for the candid conversation. Next up, just to make Bruce Arians jealous, I sit down with someone who knows a thing or two about creating change in sports. The legend, Billie Jean King. My last guest for today's show is the legendary Billie Jean King. If you don't know a ton about her, know this. She is one hell of a tennis player. She's won 39 Grand Slam titles, and she's been number one in the world. When she was 29, she won the Battle of the Sexes against 55-year-old Bobby Riggs. You may have seen the movie about it, starring Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Billie Jean is also a huge advocate for women in sports. She founded the Women's Tennis Association and the Women's Sports Foundation. She's been instrumental in pushing for pay equality. She's mentored countless athletes, including yours truly. Plus, she loves football. Billie Jean King, you know, no one's counting, but 679 <laughs> days ago, uh, you and I got to spend some quality time on the sidelines in Atlanta at yes. a Bucks falcons game in November of 2019. Can you explain why you attended that football game? Well, actually, Grind, the show on, it's on
8: Epics, I think, asked me. And uh, I said that would be totally awesome because it was with Arians. And I just read his book, I don't know, a year earlier on the, the uh, quarterback whisperer and realized his background. Um, I'd heard a little bit about him, but I heard, you know, when I read the book, it was really clear um, how much he cared about people, didn't care what color you are, what gender. And uh, so I, I don't know, I just really loved reading about him. So I couldn't wait to meet him. And then, of course, having two women coaches, having people of color in, you know, very, very strong positions. I'm like, I'm there. I always remember I asked Arians, what, what makes a great coach? And he's, you know, he's a man of few words. <laughs> and he said, Teach. You have to be able to teach to be a great
3: coach. And he is so right. When we spoke to Coach Arians on this podcast, we talked to him about that meeting and what it meant to him. And he said, I quote, one of the greatest champions of my generation, a bucket list item for me to meet, Billy Jean King. Billy, how do you feel about what Coach Arians is doing right now in Tampa Bay to shift the narrative and change the game? Well, by winning and having,
8: you know, people of color and women coaches on the team, um, It was just amazing. I just was very happy for them because I actually uh, love it when teams that have diversity, inclusion, um, at least trying to change um, the look,
3: I, I, I was thrilled for them. We talked about her own career and how it feels seeing women on the football field. Did you draw any parallels to how you felt when you were playing, when you were watching them on the sidelines that day?
8: Oh, for sure. Every generation has their trailblazers. Every generation has their first. And it's really, really hard. Um, As you and I talked about how hard it is that, you know, my whole life, I've felt like I've been on a tightrope because the most important thing, especially when you're trying to lead is don't lose your audience. You got to keep them. And it's not easy. And people have a hard time changing. Uh, And yet we're all human. And, for instance, I know that fathers with daughters now have changed over the, over the decades, which is a plus. Uh, also, if I hadn't had male allies, I wouldn't be talking to you and having the opportunities I've had. Because men are in power, and they're the ones that have to change because they're the ones that can change things fast. Owners of the NFL, CEO. The board of directors of the NFL, which are the owner, owners, uh, they are the ones who can change this very quickly. Uh, it's not easy because change is difficult. And you've got to really be patient, persistent, and stay passionate. You have to stay passionate. Every day when you wake up, you've got to have fire in the belly. I don't care How lousy the day before was. Start over.
3: Start over. To that point, though, Billie Jean, from your new book, All In, you know, a quote that really resonated with me was early on, what was most apparent to me was that the world I wanted didn't exist. It would be up to my generation to create it. Even if you're not a born activist, life can damn sure make you one. (laughs) <laughs> you know, life damn sure made me one, Billy Jean. And I'm so curious, what, what does this quote mean to you? Why'd you write that?
8: I wrote it because it was so true. I mean, when you're growing up in the 40s and 50s and you already know at a very young age that you're a second-class citizen, you're, never call- you're very rarely called on in school. They don't think of you of ever being an athlete. Um, you know, you're always supposed to be second banana, always be the supportive one. It's not fun. It's not fun. But I also knew at 12 years old when I had my epiphany, Um, I just started tennis. I loved it from the first time I hit a ball. Um, You know, I played shortstop and I played touch football. But I thought about, do you know how many times I get to touch a ball in tennis in five minutes compared to all these other sports? It is a ton if you hit. So I, I knew I was lucky to do that. But I was sitting at the Los Angeles Tennis Club and I was daydreaming and thinking about my sport. And. I realized everyone wore white shoes and white clothes and played with white balls and everybody who played was white. And I asked myself where's is, where is everybody else? Where is everybody else? So I also knew tennis was global. And I thought, wow. And I wanted to travel, but my dad was a firefighter. There's no way I was going to travel, you know, not enough money, blue collar family that I just, you know, I made a promise myself I'd fight for equality the rest of my life. And then I wanted, you know, and I already knew that my black sisters and brothers were worse off people living with disabilities. I mean, I had met people in wheelchairs and people. And of course, now there's so many activities for people in wheelchair. I mean, wheelchair tennis is huge. You know, we're Mm -hmm. like. A lot of people play. I just want us to have a league. I mean, you played; you were quarterback, right? That's, that's why right. you. That's why you like the league because you're a quarterback. You leadership's important to you. I can tell. Uh, so, I mean, what would you do? I mean, I, I always. I mean, I want the women to be able to play football. And when we had the Women's Sports Magazine, we put um, women on the front, uh, fo- women mm-hmm. football players, uh, because. And everybody goes, "Well, they won't. The magazine won't sell." I said, "I don't care." put them on. It's like when Larry and I, my former husband and I did something, we didn't care. We just went for it. And we knew we were going to lose money. Sometimes we didn't care. We felt it was more important to advance the cause. And of course, a lot of people think that's dumb business. We didn't. And we understood it was dumb business. It doesn't matter. We did it. Um, So that's why we started World Team Tennis back in 74, which is about equality. Men and women on the same team. We had women and men coaches. It didn't matter. And that's the way the world should look. And and football is trying to do that with You know, even you being who you are in the office, you know, being the leader, um, I mean, how do you find that? How do you find it? I mean, you probably can't talk because you're going to get, might get fired. I don't know, I'm kidding. (laughs)
3: No, we're, we want to talk about challenges on this podcast. And I have to tell you, something, Billy Jean, <laughs> two years ago, you gave me the most meaningful gift that I've ever received in my career. And you were leaving the field uh, with with uh, your people. And then you stopped and you turned around and you came back to me on the field and you said, I forgot to tell you something, Sam. You said you have it. And you said, not many people have it. You have it. And you walked away. And I could have died right there on the field and been <laughs> happy. But Billy Jean, I go there every time I have a difficult day. And when I struggle and we have mountains to climb. And I'm curious kind of where you go and where you have gone on your most difficult days. You've faced a lot in your career and your playing career. Kind of Where do you go when things seem insurmountable? Well, first of all, the reason I said that to
8: you, because I meant it, number one, is that certain people have the, what they call the it factor when they're on stage or in the, you know, or, or in leadership positions in different areas. And you do have it. I mean, you had it just listening to your story, being quarterback and your, your thoughts and your wants and your goals. I'm like, oh, wow, this is a live one. You know, Sam's a live one. On difficult days, the most important thing, the most important thing is do not take anything personally. Do not take anything personally because it's the person that said it to you. Just they said this thing, whether it's true or not. So let go and take in the information because sometimes it's very helpful, but don't take it personally. That's number one. And if you can do that, you can keep your um, excitement. You can keep going. Um, I think forgiveness is huge. Um my partner in life, Ilana, goes, I don't get it. You you never stay angry. At, you know, very rarely do you stay angry at somebody. You give everybody so much rope. And yeah, because you know what? There'll be different management in another two years anyway. Usually. <laughs> it's always changing. Like in, in the tennis, things are always changing every two years. We always have a new president or whatever. And so just keep starting over. It's, uh, you know, corporations, teams, they're made up of people. And people do not always stay in the same place um right. so you, it's really really important and it, sometimes you just have to let go just let go right it's not going to happen and it's okay it's keep so moving much. i don't call it failure i call it feedback and that is when the ball let's say goes in by 6 inches that's you know feedback that i hit it right i got my contact point right etcetera and the spin or whatever is involved. And then if I miss it by six inches, I take that information in as well Mm. and say, okay, next time I get a similar shot,
3: I'll make the correction. And that's exactly in football. It's
8: all about execution.
3: Billie Jean, there are three kind of main challenges that I hear time and time again from women in the league. You you talked about challenges. We're not afraid to talk about them here. Can I use my remaining time with you to get... Kind of quick hit advice on these three areas. Number one, women in the locker room. Women are constantly worried. Should I be in there? Should I not? They don't even know if they should ask if they should be in there, if they should not. We'd love to hear what you think about women in the locker room who just want to do their damn job.
8: Well, first question is, do you need to be in the locker room? And I'm assuming the answer is absolutely. We have no, it's called going there. I would always ask the coach ahead of time. I would say, coach, I need to go in the locker room. What do you think? And it's important to show him respect or, well, yeah, they're all men right now, um, show him respect. But I would talk to the coach off, you know, when you have a moment and, and before the league started, you know, in summertime and all that. I would have long – I would try to – you know, relationships or everything. It's really important to have a strong relationship with the coach, I think. Um, but I think you need to say, I need to get in there. And how do you – is there a certain protocol or what? But I have to get in. State your challenge. State your your problem. And try to work it out with the coach. Billie Jean, something that you are an
3: expert on beyond anyone. Dealing with men who might not want you there.
8: It's difficult. I still think you have to be patient and develop the relationship. And if you can't, you can't then let go. Go to somebody else maybe that can help you. Uh, you're going to have to identify those kinds of people. But we're all human. I always go back to, you know, we just have to keep building a relationship. And if you get a, a person who's in the dark ages, I don't know, sometimes you have to let go and not spend time with that person you just have to let go because you've got other right. people that do care so that's a judgment but it's all you're always judging don't you find that Sam every day you judge
5: I
3: do judgment. find that it's exhausting it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting and at times yeah it seems it, it seems incredibly difficult but then it's rewarding and the exhaustion was worth it right
8: I think that's a huge question or why do you want to be in the position you are mm-hmm. I mean, why why are you here why are you there are, are you where you want to be right now I mean I think asking me?
3: that. yeah I am no, I'm exactly where I want to be because I know that I, I can make this change if I keep going with it. Billie Jean King's new book, All In. Billie Jean, I felt this quote in my bones when I read it. Uh, when you're actually doing advocacy work from the inside, you have to be strategic to get things done. You have to realize that sometimes success comes incrementally. I often <sighs> felt radical inside, but outside I tried to be pragmatic and measured. Oh, I've read that like ten times, Billie Jean King. What does that mean to you? Talk me through that quote. Well, I think the next sentence in it was really the
8: important one. It says, "I wanted to take strong stands without alienating, because your audience is everything. The people I was trying to, you know, change and and uh, you know and persuade and you know, it's and and it was a constant." Heart, you know, high, high wire act, you know, is always on uh, a tightrope. So and I think it's important to be a uniter, a uniter. My job is always to get people together to make this world a better place. I am really big on that. I, I and- think I, I really that's what I care about. I mean, when I played Bobby Riggs, there's a part in the book talks about me speaking to um, Frank Gifford. He was a great New York Giants player and in the 50s and he worked for ABC and he said are you a feminist and this is 1973 remember I'm playing Bobby Riggs and i knew if i said yes i'm a feminist i would have lose at least 50% of the audience at least and i'm going i can't do this this is my one moment when 90 million people are watching It'd be like a super bowl maybe back in the now we get over 100 million but in 73, there weren't as many people on earth. Um, and so <laughs> I have a nanosecond, right, to answer. I got to answer the guys now. It's, it's international TV. Okay. And I went, I am really for the women's movement. I think it will make life better for all of us, not just women or something like that. Now, I could have said, of course, I'm a feminist, because to me, feminist means equal. All of us, you know, equality. But in those days, at that time, you've got to know what's going on and feel your, the peeps. And the people felt, if you're a feminist, you hated men. And that was the last thing it means. So you've got to know where you're at at that time and what's going to fly, and what isn't going to fly. We could have no more. We didn't have social media. We didn't have phones. We couldn't. We could have never mobilized as quickly as they do today. I wish we could have because it's, you know, you can get things done faster.
3: Last question for you, Billie Jean. You know, um, if we're being honest here, there there are NFL coaches who are champions of this effort. And there are some who don't want to participate and who aren't male allies. You know, how do we get more male champions? How do we gain male buy-in faster than what we're accomplishing right now?
8: Well, it's really hard. I always try to, like, if we go to see CEOs or people in power, like we're talking to coaches. um, I'll tell you one, it's really hard if they don't have any daughters or granddaughters or no nieces if they only have sons grandsons they grew up in a family where it was all boys like they had three brothers i find that's the one that's impossible that they just never had very many women in their lives to see both sides to see different sides of everyone and and the way we're socialized is so different we are socialized i think both of us are so badly socialized boys are taught to be brave girls are taught to be perfect Perfect means always taking second banana, always taking care of the other person first. Um, So I try to get to know the human being. The first question I ask, usually a CEO or a coach, I would say, tell me about your family. Do you have any siblings? Do you have children? Are you married? Or do you have a significant other? I just get to know them as a human being first. Forget the job because they're human first. So, and then I try to see if there's a a place I can go. We found in women's tennis that every CEO that stepped up for us had a daughter. And the ones that did not have a daughter and only had sons or had brothers only in their family, they usually said no. So it's the human connection. You have to find what is it about this person, this coach, that will get him to open his heart and mind to what we're trying to at least say, to get started. you got to get started first with some people. And CEOs, you tell us, because we're always going to companies trying to get them to, because CEOs can change things really fast, just like a coach. The coach is like the CEO of a team. He he can change things overnight if he wants. He's got the power. And then I would talk to the coaches about their legacy. When you get old, like I'm, you know, you look in the mirror, you see all these wrinkles in you. And what do you want to say about yourself? Now, most people talk about, oh, you're at your funeral. And what do you want everyone to say? No. I, I think that's may be important to somebody. I think more importantly, when the coach looks at himself in this case, that what does he want to leave? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I mean, like Arian's leaving his legacy of inclusion is a heck of a lot more exciting, peaceful way to leave knowing you left something positive that's gonna continue to grow and be inclusive. And I think legacy is huge. I mean, I know fighting for equality my whole life, since I was 12, very important to me, looking in the mirror and say, have I fought a good fight every single day? Because I also know there's never, it's never gonna be equal forever, ever, ever, but I know that each generation can make it better. And my job is to help the younger people now. My job is to help them like you, to carry on,
3: uh, and I stand on shoulders of people before me. Billie Jean King, when I told my three-year-old son that I was interviewing you today, I said, I'm interviewing Billie Jean <laughs> King, and he said, does she live in a castle? And I said, oh, That's does so she cute. ever, in all of our minds. <laughs> so cute, say hi. I will, Billie Jean, <laughs> I just want, you know, to take this time to thank you for the sacrifices that you made, everything you did, so people like me can continue your legacy and fight on in this space. It's an absolute honor. Honor to speak with you. If you loved that interview as much as I did, be sure to check out Billy Jean's new book, All In, an autobiography. And just when I thought the conversation around women in football couldn't get any better, I sat down with Sarah Thomas, the first female official in the NFL. You won't want to miss this. And hey, you got to be kidding me! I mean, I played sports my whole life from five, and and because I'm a girl, I can't play. It's not like I'm doing this to bust up the good old boys club.